when I was a kid. That's the kind of preaching I grew up with. Probably because I, I, I lived in the Bible Belt. But I'll never forget those heart-stirring messages when I would attend camp meeting in Resaca, Georgia, or I'd attend a meeting in Priceville, Alabama, and those old-timers would preach on prayer. And they knew what it was to preach on prayer because they lived a lifestyle of prayer. And I wanted so bad to understand how do I get that in my life. I want a piece of that pie. I want to, make, I want to experience it. But I realized that there were some things throughout my life that were missing that prevented me from having that type of prayer life. I want to talk to you about something this morning, this afternoon. I want to talk to you about what prevents us from having full, solid belief that God is able to do what He said He is able to do. What is it that causes us to have a lack of belief, a lack of faith? We've been covering, um, we've been going through a series on bold prayers. We're on the second part of this series of, of bold prayers. And uh, I know according to Scripture that I've been given the privilege and you've been given the privilege if you're a believer in Jesus Christ to bold, have bold prayers, to speak bold prayers. Scripture tells us to pray boldly, to boldly make our prayer request known unto God. And I know that to be true because of one passage of Scripture that stands out above all others. I, I, I quoted this last week. I'm going to read it to you right now. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Who is us? Those that are believers in Jesus Christ, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice with me, it doesn't say come boldly to God, but rather the throne of God. There's a distinct difference. I know it is God, but I, it is not by chance that it says the throne. And this is the reason why, because the throne speaks of authority and empower, and the word grace conveys the idea of understanding and blessing. We have been given this amazing privilege to step into the throne room of God and approach His throne with our request. Now, culturally, if we lived in the time of Christ, we would understand how amazing that is, because nobody just walks into the throne room and makes a request to the king. You have to have permission. And even if you get permission, you have to be somebody. I'm a nobody. And I've been given permission by somebody that's greater than everybody. And you have been given the same permission. We have the permission to come boldly through our prayers. And Jesus makes intercession for us to stand before God and make our request known. We can be bold. But my question is, why? Why are we not? Why do we not take advantage of this amazing privilege that we have? And I think the reason why, to me, is summed up in one word. One single word. Unbelief. We just don't fully believe that God is able. Say, I believe, but do you fully believe? I have faith, but do you lack faith? The question is, what holds us back from seeking the King of Kings? Why is it that at times we experience unbelief? Do you realize that unbelief prevents God from doing what he can do for you? Do you know that unbelief keeps God at a distance? Because we know, according to Scripture, that unbelief is the very thing that prevents those that know God can do something, but doesn't allow him to do it because 
you feel as if he can't fully do it. So God is saying, if you just give me an opportunity to fully believe in who I am, I will blow your mind. My mind goes back to a lot of times throughout my life where I had a lack of faith. And then I think about the times where I had extreme faith. And I can't quite, or I couldn't quite put my finger on why. One minute I have this extreme faith, and then the next minute I'm lacking faith. Why am I on a mountaintop one minute, and then I'm in a valley the next minute? What caused me to have this faith like a lion, and I'm weak the next moment? like a dove. And then it hit me as I begin to read through God's Word. And I begin to study, specifically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I noticed something, specifically out of the book of Mark, chapter 9. And it was a father. And I paid attention to the story about this father. Because his story is much like some of our stories. He was on a high of belief, faith, trust. And then he made a journey to meet Jesus face to face because he believed that his son could get the help he needed. His son was a lunatic. How many say, I have a lunatic for a child too? Yeah, okay, one, two, three, everybody, good. We're all on the same page, great. But here's the thing, he wasn't just a lunatic, he had some spiritual issues, mental issues, physical issues, he had seizures, he would throw himself in the fire because of the influence of the spirit that possessed him, he was demon possessed. I mean, your kid might be a little messed up, but probably not to that degree. And some of you are like, no, I think my kid is possessed. All right, well, whatever you think, it is not even close to being what this child was going through. The father was desperate. He was so desperate, and he believed so much that God could change through Jesus Christ, his son, that he took a journey. Even though Scripture tells us in Mark chapter 9 that when he would go through the streets or pass a water, uh, a body of water, his son would jump into the water because the spirit would compel him to do that so he would drown himself. And then his father would have to get him out of the water and then he'd pass some fire. If somebody had a, a, a fire built over to the side or maybe even in his own home, his son would try to push himself into the fire. Whatever that may look like, he said, this is what my son is doing. So he was willing in desperation to take the chance to take his child from the location that they were living to get him to Jesus Christ. You know, we think it's difficult when you have little ones to take them from point A to point B and you're packing the diaper bag and you get, the, you get all the supplies you need and you think you're ready to go and then that little one blows up its diaper and you're thinking, it's just not worth going anywhere. I'm going to tell you, that is nothing in comparison to what this father was experiencing, his desperation to get help. Some of you have never, including myself, have been in a place of desperation for God. You might have been desperate in your finances and you needed a loan and you were going to do whatever it takes to get the loan. You were desperate because you had a physical issue and you were going to get, <laughs> you were going to, I'm laughing because my wife is like, you need to stay within this zone for the video. All right, here I am. You were desperate to get help from a physician. So you sought a physician. You were desperate to get help for your marriage. So you sought counsel. But when's the last time you got desperate for God. Have you been desperate for God? Because I believe as that preacher just said as way of introduction, if you've never been desperate, I don't know if you fully understand what it means to want to come boldly before the throne of grace because you didn't see the need. Let's go back to this man. I want to bring you to the end of the story before I go to the beginning of the story and I want to tell you what happens. So everybody with me? 
All right, here he is. Mark chapter 9, verse 22, at the end of verse 22. Um, he says to Jesus, after all this, uh, a lot takes place. And I'll, I'll illustrate in just a minute. I'll explain in just a minute. But at the end of all these things that happened, this is what he says. Have compassion on us. Speaking of him and his son. And he said, help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And verse 24 And straightway the father of the child cried out, and he said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I believe you can. But a lot just happened, which makes me wonder if I can fully believe. Help my unbelief. And I said a minute ago, I've been there. I know what it means to have that moment of unbelief. I've seen uh, prayer meetings happen. I've seen the laying of on, of on of hands. I've seen the anointing of oil and the praying over of people, the prayer change, the social media groups that have prayed. And I've, and I've seen people come together believing and then something happened and God didn't intervene. And then my faith drops and my mindset of having clarity of believing God is able begins to shift and change. And I can relate to this man. And some of you can too. So what caused this man to take a journey, to step out by faith just to get out of the house with his insane son, to get to Jesus, to put this need before Jesus, believing, and then all of a sudden the script flips, and now he steps back and says, I don't truly know if I fully can believe. What happened? What I'm about to show you is the same thing that happens in our lives, and this is the only way to resolve the lack of belief, the inability to have a bold prayer. I believe if you can get these things resolved, I think your life is going to change drastically. I've seen this in my life. I've seen it in Pastor Tony's life with his journey with Logan and the cancer on his heart. I've seen it in multiple people's lives that I have shared life with. I believe with all of my heart that it is possible to overcome the lack of faith and the unbelief. But you have to understand where it comes from in order to defeat it. So we're going to go to the beginning of this story. And the beginning of the story happens to take place in Mark chapter 9 and verse 15. It's only a few verses prior to this verse that we just read. It says this in verse 15. Now let me explain what's going on here. Jesus comes to a group of people. It's called the multitude. It's a, a large group of people that are gathered together, and there's a lot of discussion going on. Jesus immediately notices there's a hot topic. And whatever that hot topic is, it has to do with my disciples and this man and this man's son. Something's happened, and there's some people that are very upset. Some people are concerned. Some people, even his disciples, are confused. So Jesus steps into the situation, and as he steps into the situation, uh, the people start to get all excited, and straightway all the people, according to verse 15, when they beheld him, being Jesus, were greatly amazed and running to him, salute him. And in verse 16, Jesus does this. He asks some questions, and he asks the scribes, what question ye with them? Why are you guys questioning the disciples, and what is all the bickering about? Verse 17, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, who hath a dumb spirit. He's possessed by an evil spirit to the point that he can't even speak. All right? Y'all following me? Verse 18, Wheresoever we, he taketh him, he teareth him, 
and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and paineth away. And I spoke to thy disciples that they should cast him out, be in the evil spirit, and they could not. It's like, Jesus, now you know what's going on. Now you know why everybody's bent out of shape because they expected a miracle to take place. I made a request to them and they didn't follow through. This is why there's an issue. And this is the beginning of unbelief for this man. Have you ever prayed and asked God to make a move and he didn't make the move when you asked the request? Or when you made the request? The first time you made the request, he didn't show up? Let me explain. This is the very reason this man began to question his faith and began to have unbelief. First reason why. He didn't see the results he hoped for the first time he asked. He didn't see the results he hoped for the first time he asked. This father asked the disciples to heal his son, but it was a bust. And sometimes we quit on God before God is done working because we didn't get the answer we hoped for the first time we asked. I've been there, you've been there, it's discouraging, it's frustrating, and I cannot stand that feeling. And it's so frustrating, it makes me get step back and say, God, is it really worth even praying? Because you didn't show up when I asked you to show up. You didn't intervene. I was just on the phone with a friend of mine I went to college with. We went to college for four years together. It's been a friend of mine since I was 19 years old. He's struggling very, very heavily. And uh, we were talking about the Bible. We spoke to each other for four and a half hours on the phone, just back and forth about different things concerning God's Word and questions he had and debating on some things. One of the things I said to him, I said, man, you really need to make it a point of prayer concerning this topic that you're struggling with. Just give it to God. Pray about it. He said, I can't do that. I said, why not? He said, because I don't believe in prayer. I said, why don't you believe in prayer? Because God never answers my prayers. Never? I've made a lot of requests, Dave, and he's never showed up when I ask him to. Well, just because he didn't show up when you ask him that first time doesn't mean he doesn't and he's not aware of what's going on. The reality is, is this. God's plans are bigger than our plans, and his way of doing things is distinctly different than our way of doing things. So our request, when we make it, may not be in the same time frame that he wants to answer it. For instance, the Bible says this in Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's just bluntly saying, I do things a lot different than you do things. My timing is different than your timing. My ways are different than your ways. So if I don't answer you the first time, there's a reason I have for not answering you the first time. Just like a child says, mommy, 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 mommy. And you get so annoyed and you finally say, what? And they make a request and you know what they're asking for is not the right time. I want, let's just be very generic, I want ice cream. Well, we haven't even ate yet. We need to wait. Well, I want ice cream. That's the second request you've made. And I'm sure you would really enjoy it, but you need to wait. And I feel like as children of God, we do the same thing. God, 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 in the name of Jesus, God. And then finally God says, yes. And you say, well, I need, and God says, I need you to wait. Hold off. Be patient. I'm going to work through this, but it's not going to be when you first ask me to. 
Why is it as parents we can understand the concept of telling a child, wait because you know what's best, but we don't understand when it comes to a child of God that the father says, wait, I know what's best. We don't seem to catch on to that. And I'm gonna, I think there's a reality here when we think on this. I have a hard time getting God to understand that I know what's best. I've had a real difficult time, even dating back to when I was in high school. I mean, I have everything figured out, and I know exactly how it needs to go down. And it's all lined up just perfectly. But God doesn't see to see it that way. I'm like, God, I made my request. This is perfect timing. Perfect timing. If you could allow me to get this vehicle at this time, oh my goodness, how amazing would it be? I thought the same thing when my nephew Logan got his first surgery. I was on a high. Man, we got everybody together to go outside of the hospital. We had around 150 people. We sang praises to God. We prayed together. Tony and his family are looking out the window, waving at us. And I'm like, this is a hallmark moment, God. Are you seeing what I am seeing? I am making a request, and everybody else is making a request for you to show up. A few months later, we get, Logan goes into surgery. We are all excited. We weren't thinking it was, anything was going to go wrong. It is going to happen. You know why? Because we had this profound moment. We knew this was the time. This is it. This is the right time. Y'all follow me? And then we get the phone call. We closed him up within an hour because there was more going on in his chest than we could ever imagine. We cannot remove the cancer. It is too far gone. We didn't even try to remove the cancer. They buttoned him up. They sent him home. And at that moment, we were realizing, wait a second. Just because we thought it was the perfect time for God to show up and make a move and remove the cancer didn't mean it was the perfect time for God the Father to do what he said he could do. And I began to back down in my faith and walk in Christ. I began to think, what does it matter if I make a request to God? He's going to do what he wants anyway. And you've been there too. You've been there too. And we say that because we don't get the answer we want when we want it. And so that causes us to have a lack of faith. You've heard it a thousand times. Some of you got memorized. But I'm going to dig a little deeper before I go to the second reason, okay? Luke chapter 11, verse 9. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 is basically explaining to us this simple principle. It teaches us the importance of not only asking God, but keep on asking God. Because we know the verb tense is saying, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Now, think of it this way. Me, I have a bad memory. I'm horrible. I don't know if you know that. It's just awful. If you didn't know that, now you do. Most of you know I have a bad memory. I forget where I lay. Huh. I went to get it. It's gone. I don't know where it's at. It's probably in the, it's in the van. My wallet. I always lose my wallet. And, and I lost it this week. And so I go to my wife and I say, I can't find my wallet because she is all knowing. And she knows exactly where everything is. And she says, she's, she blew me away with wisdom. Y'all ready? This is what she said. Your wife has probably said this to you too. She says, uh, it's got to be somewhere. I said, what? She goes, it's got to be somewhere. And I'm like, yeah. I already figured that one out. Then no doubt it's somewhere, but I don't know where that somewhere is. And then she always makes this statement, where did you leave it last? Where'd you leave it last? And I'm like, if I knew where I left it last, I'd just go to that spot and get it. 
So you're not really helping me. You're not having anything profound being said into my life or spoken into my life. But then when she says this, it changes everything. And she says, well, don't stop looking for it because you need to find it. And I'm like, that's true. Because sometimes I just say, forget it. It'll come up on its own. And I feel like we do the same thing with God. So forget it. It is what it is. I'm just not going to seek God anymore. But this passage of scripture says, keep seeking. Keep seeking. You know what seeking means? Looking for God to do something. I'm going to seek God for this and I'm not going to stop. But he doesn't go just stop there. He goes a little further. He says, keep knocking. Keep knocking. And I get frustrated when I go to somebody's house and I know they're there and I'm knocking and they're not answering. That frustrates me. But it frustrates me even more when I'm knocking and God's not answering. What I do at a person's house that doesn't answer the door, I walk away because I think they're not home because they're not answering. We do the same thing with God. I'm knocking, he's not answering, and so I want to quit knocking, which means quit praying. And when I quit praying, I settle in this unbelief thinking, well, what the heck? He didn't answer the first time I knocked, so he must not going to be answering at all. And you do it too. But the reality is, just because he's not opening the door when I knock on the door doesn't mean that he's not eventually going to do so. See, he's doing something behind the door. And I've mentioned this before when I've preached here and in other locations. He's doing something behind the doors that you can't see. And everything he's doing behind the doors is in preparation for him to open the door. And for you to come in and to experience everything you ask, but that much more. Or maybe not exactly what you ask for, but something distinctly different that is perfect for you, just in a different way. I know that when I have people come over to my house, I have a specific time that I want people to come to my house. You guys know this because I've said this before. I'm just going to say it because he's right here. I love it when Stephen comes to my house, but Stephen's like an old soul. He can't come at 2 o'clock if I say 2 o'clock because he is a military-minded man. He will come at 1.30. Knocking on the door. And I want to open the door and just say, hey, Stephen, guess what? It's not 2 o'clock. And I need you to be here at 2 o'clock because what I'm doing right now is sweeping and mopping the floor. And I just want everything done. Even though you don't care, I do care. And I just need you to wait. So we've got an understanding now. He learned to wait. Jesus, <laughs> he did some things specifically in a specific way in the New Testament. And God does the same thing a specific, a specific way in our lives. As, as our Heavenly Father, because He knows we need to be patient as He works everything out behind the door, and He'll open it when He's ready to walk away. Because when you walk away, unbelief sets in. And that's what this man was experiencing. Now let's consider the second reason the Father had unbelief. Look at the next verse. It's verse 19. And Jesus is speaking here, okay? Jesus answers him and says, Oh, faithless generation. He's really focusing on his disciples. He's really frustrated. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me, which is the son. You know, you can frustrate. It's annoying when you frustrate your spouse. It's, it's awful when you frustrate with your wife. That's, that's overwhelming. If you frustrate your mother, your father, there are some consequences to that. But I'm going to tell you, it's a whole new ball game when you frustrate the Son of God. Because this is literally saying, Jesus is frustrated with his disciples to the point like, how long do I have to put up with this? 
Let me put it this way. How long do I have to put up with you guys in your unbelief? One day I'm going to ascend into heaven after 33 and a half years of me being on earth. And it is your job because I'm going to empower you to go and believe that I am able through you to do amazing things. And you're not even doing it now. And I'm right with you. What's up with that? And then he looks over to the father and says, bring him over here. I love it. Just bring him here. Let me, let me take care of it. Let me finish the job. Bring him here. And what we see right now is something really interesting because we experienced this too. This man surrounded himself with those who lacked faith. And that is the second reason why we get to a point where we don't fully believe. When you surround yourself with people that don't have faith, you will eventually allow them to rub off on you and you'll have the same mindset. Negative people create negative people. As long as they're around them enough, they'll pick up on those things. It's not the first time I've said that. Growing up in Alabama, I would go caving. I loved caving. And I've noticed in caves, there's stalagmites and stalactites. These formations, rock formations, right? Stalactites on the ceiling, stalagmites on the, on, on the floor of the cave. And they're really unique. And the reason they're the formation that they are is because water over time dripped, 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 dripped and began to form the rock and wear at it. And I'm telling you, when you surround yourself with people that are not like-minded and have faith, what's going to happen is it's going to be a drip, a drip, a drip, and eventually they're going to wear on you. <laughs> they're, going to, they're going to carve your mentality to the point that you struggle with your faith. And I'm not just talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about believers that are struggling in their faith and they're rubbing off on you. Let me give you a good example of that. I'm going to refer to this because it just, it's fresh with me because this, we just went through this with Logan and my brother. I remember right after the surgery failed and it didn't work out in the time frame we thought it should, that I would go to my brother's office and we would talk. And I'd find myself in his office at a moment that he's weak in his faith and his belief. And I was at the same place. And this is what would happen. We'd feed off of each other. We'd begin saying stuff that most people would cringe at, that a pastor would say like, what's the point? I don't even feel like telling anybody to pray because I'm seeing that it's not working for us. How can I believe in prayer if it ain't even working for me? We'd say stuff like this. If, if Logan dies, I don't know if I want to keep doing what we're doing. And Tony would say, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it either. You said, whoa, whoa. Yeah, we're human beings just like you. We lack faith just like you at times. We have unbelief just like you. You know why? It's at those moments where we don't see God show up when we thought he would show up the first time we requested. But it's also at those moments that I get weaker in my faith. Y'all follow me? When I'm around other people that are weak in their faith. And I begin, it's not iron sharpeneth iron at this moment. We're dulling each other. And I found Tony going, oh my goodness, maybe you're right. And I've had to back up and say, no, I'm not right. I'm just frustrated. We can't stop. We've got to believe that God is able to do something that we never expected ever possible. And there's moments that Tony would speak into my life. And those moments were so important because those moments were where we're like faith and like-mindedness. And we were believing that God was able to show up and do something amazing. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says this. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are encouraged and commanded to hold fast together as believers in Jesus Christ without wavering to the faith that we've been given. Now, I, I, I know that's tough, 
So let me help you figure it out. Y'all with me? Everybody awake? Everybody alert? Y'all, it's only mid-afternoon. You don't even, old people don't even take a nap at this time. Come on, stay with me. Watch this. <laughs> my my father-in-law just raised his hand. Yes, I do. All right. Do a little survey in your mind for just a moment. I want you to think of those that are in your community, those that you're closest to. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. Where do my friends, this is what I want you to ask yourself, where do my friends turn to first in a time of need? I don't want you to just stop there. I want you to ask this question. Do my friends believe that God is in control of all things? Do my friends believe that God, I'm talking about your tightest community, those that you're closest to, do my friends believe that God is in control of all things? Do my friends pray for me? Let me ask that one again. Do my friends pray for me? Do my friends believe that God answers prayer? Do my friends believe that my God answers prayers? Now you have to ask yourself this question. How many of my friends don't believe those things versus those that do? How big is your community of faith believers? Because it's very important. And the more you allow people in your circle that don't trust God, the more likely you are going to struggle trusting God. But it doesn't stop there. There's one more reason why that I've found as I begin to study this. Because I really wanted to know, why do I struggle with unbelief? If I'm supposed to have bold prayers and come before the throne of grace boldly, I want to know what holds me back. And this is the third reason why. And we're just going to continue this story. All right, here we are. Mark chapter 9, verse 19. In the very end of verse 19, Jesus said, bring him to me. And in verse 20, they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and began to wallow. He began to foam at the mouth and he wallowed and foaming and having seizures. And if you know the whole story and begin to evaluate this passage of scripture, you'll find out this is that moment that the physical aspects of his life were being revealed. He's messed up physically and spiritually. Verse 20, 21. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came Unto him, speaking of the spirit, the evil spirit. And the father said, of a child. It's been going on since he was a little boy, since he was a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, which I know you can, help us. I believe. The last reason why this man struggled with his lack of belief is because he believed his problems were greater than the problem solver. He made it very clear to Jesus, these are all the circumstances involved with my son, and it's been going on since he was a little boy. Jesus already knew when it started because he's all-knowing God. The only reason Jesus asked this father, when did it begin, is because he wanted everybody else to understand the fullness of the situation that was at hand and how God's son, Jesus himself, would speak into it and resolve it. So he wanted them to understand the fullness of what the Spirit was doing to this boy and what, how long it's been going on so Jesus could really show what bold prayers can do, the bold request this father made. He's casting the fire into the water. He's foaming at the mouth. He's having seizures. He's falling to the ground. My goodness, Jesus, this is big. This is big stuff. 
I mean, the lot going on. And I came to you believing that you're able to do anything. And in the ones that are, your, that are closest to you, your 12 disciples, I made my request. And when I did, I thought they would show up and make it happen. And they didn't. So my request wasn't answered. Not only that, I heard what you said to them. I heard you say, oh, what about your faith? I heard you question them and your frustration with them. So how am I supposed to have faith when they ain't got faith? God, there's a, Jesus, there's a lot going on right now. And, and, and it just makes me wonder, can you really step up to the plate and take care of all these issues that my son has? Now, did it really say all that? No, but I assume this is what's going through this guy's mind. I would be thinking that. I mean, come on. And then all of a sudden, he lays everything out and explains in great detail, just help me. I'm desperate. And Jesus says in verse 23, If thou canst believe, this is the verse we started off with, all things are possible to him that believeth. If you can believe and trust me, even though you don't understand, and even though I didn't, maybe you didn't get your request the first time you asked, and even though these guys didn't have faith, and even though your son has a lot of jacked up problems, if you can just give me a chance and believe, I'm going to show you something that can happen. What is so big in your life that has caused you to have the lack of faith in God, to step into the throne room and to have bold faith to ask God to work? What is it? What's caused you to have unbelief? Can you, can you find yourself in a position like this? Or have you found yourself in this position of the Father where you've made requests? You've surrounded yourself with people that believe and you've had something in your life for such a long period of time you feel like it's not, not resolvable. I've met people that have addictions and they're like, you know how long I've had this addiction? You really think God can resolve this addiction? You know how long I've dealt with anxiety? Do you know how long I've dealt with depression? Do you understand what I've been going through? You know how long I've been looking at pornography? Do you know how long I've struggled in my marriage? What do you think God is going to do? I've asked him to do something. I've asked him to show up. I have struggled with my finances for years and years and years. But where is he? I'm going to tell where he's at. He's behind closed doors doing something amazing and he just doesn't want you to quit just yet. Because what he has planned for you is going to blow your mind. I always wanted to get married right after I got out of college. I thought, man, I'm going to meet somebody in college. I'm a Bible college student, right? I'm going to meet somebody in college. We're going to be of like faith, like-minded. We're going to get out. We're going to get a job, and it's going to be amazing. And as soon as I got out of school, I'm already going to have my job. I had it all figured out. But what I had figured out isn't the same way he had it figured out. And thank God, I would have messed everything up. But what I realized through all of those circumstances and my lack of faith, God had something bigger in store for me, but it required two things for me to overcome my unbelief. And it's the two things that happened in this man's life, and I just read it. You may have not caught it. I'm going to give it to you. We'll close in prayer, and you can do whatever you want with what I've told you today. You ready? Here's what he said. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, the father was broken. I said it at the beginning, you got to get desperate. But if you've not been broken, it doesn't matter how desperate you are. If you've never allowed God to break you, you'll never allow God to move you. If you haven't experienced being broken for God, you better pray and ask God to break you so he can use you and reveal to you some amazing things. You say, what does that even mean? That means that you have allowed God 
to do something in your life so profound that it shakes you to your core and you are willing to accept whatever that may be. And sometimes he does things like we just saw with Logan. We just saw with Pastor Tony where it took two years to get him to that point where there's praying and fasting and seeking. There's desperation, but also there's brokenness. You've never seen a broken father until you saw a father struggling with a son or a daughter. A true father. I remember when Logan was diagnosed with cancer. I remember how Tony was desperate. He put a video out. Y'all remember that video? Put it on Facebook. He was so raw and so real. He put it on Facebook and it was a dad sitting in his car talking about his son. And he was crying. I mean, I saw him crying in a way I've never saw my, my brother ever cry. And he said, I need you guys to pray. I, need, I don't want to lose my son. I don't want my son to die. You know, he was desperate, but you know what else he was? He was broken because he said, he's, he's told God numerous times, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'm willing to accept it. Please, God, I'm just asking you to show up, to show up. When's the last time you got broken for God? When's the last time you just wept? When I was a 15-year-old boy and I surrendered to the preacher, I knew that's what God called me to do. There was this fiery preacher in Georgia that was speaking. He preached a message called Young and Anointed. I didn't understand what the responsibility of preaching fully meant. I never got broken over people. I never embraced the reality that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to meet their needs the best way I know how. I'm going to listen to their phone calls or have phone calls with them for long periods of time. I'm going to serve, serve, serve. I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. I was 15. Until this man stood up in front of everybody and he preached his heart out and he preached on the topic of being young and anointed. That means you may be young, but you can be anointed by God and do amazing things. But you got to be broken. You got to understand. And man, it hit my heart so hard. I, I was overwhelmed with conviction. I began to weep in ways, you know, the, the ugly cry where you're snotting and everybody's looking at you like you're a weirdo. I couldn't control myself. There was an altar call. Thank God for the old fashioned altar calls, which means they come to the front, they get on their knees and everybody's praying with everybody. I was weeping so hard. I couldn't breathe. And I'm begging God. I'm like, God, whatever you want, whatever you want. I'll do. Whatever you want, I accept. You want me to go to Africa? I'll go to Africa. Just, just use me. Just use me. And I remember the guys sitting next to me. They were knelt next to me. And the young preachers. And I remember them crying just as hard as I was crying. I mean like crying because they were broken. Because they're like, I don't want to be average. If you want to be average, then don't be broken. But if you allow God to break you, He's going to change you. And this father was saying, God, well, Jesus it is God. I need you to do something. But he didn't just say that. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, which means he was honest. When's the last time you got honest with God? You know what it means to be honest with God? Just be real. This garbage that we see on TV and you see these priests go through the motions and these movies and things like that have no real reality to them of what Christianity is in a relationship with Jesus. It's all garbage. He's a real loving father that wants you to just speak to him. Just say it. You say, well, I have to say all the right things. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just have to say what's on your heart. 
because he's your father and he loves you and he wants to understand what you're going through. That is bold. That is bold. That's humbling yourself and saying, God, I am really messed up right now in this area and I don't know what to do. And I'm asking you in the name of Jesus Christ, please, I'm being honest, please help me. I've questioned my sanity. I, I, I've wanted to kill myself. I didn't want to live any longer because I feel like there's nothing worth living for. Do you hear me, God? I know you gave me life. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but I want to kill what you've made. That's honest. God, I was Melissa as a child, and I can't deal with this anymore because it's messing with my brain. It's been 15, 20, 30 years. I can't deal with it anymore. This is driving me crazy. Or maybe somebody was raped, and they say, God, do you remember what I went through? This has dominated my marriage because I can't even operate properly as a mother, as a wife, because this sexual abuse I received has changed me. God, I'm broken and I'm desperate and I'm being honest. I know you can do it, but help my unbelief. And there it was. Jesus says, okay, let me show you what I'm about to do. And according to this passage of scripture found in verse 25 through 27. Jesus rebukes the foul spirit and says unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee. I love that. It's powerful. Come out of him and watch this and enter no more into him. You know what that means? This is the finished work of God. Sometimes God does a work in our life and it's sufficient for that season. And then something else happens that's very similar to what you just dealt with and God intervenes again. It's all for your good and His glory and to extend your story. But here's the reality. Sometimes God intervenes and it's a finished work. And He says, there's nothing else I want to do with this part of your life. I've done everything that needs to be done. I've taught the disciples a lesson. I've taught the Father a lesson and the multitude that's standing around. They've learned something amazing through what I just did. And that is how to believe. And then the disciples pull Jesus over to the side and they say, What's up? Why weren't we able to do what you just did? What's going on? Now watch this. Jesus did not say to the disciples, it's because of your unbelief. He didn't say it's because of your lack of faith. All of that was previously addressed. He said this, some things are not possible without prayer and fasting. Now watch, this is important because the reality is not just the fact that you need to be broken and honest, you have to also understand that sometimes in life when we make our requests made known unto God, it requires prayer and fasting. Tony told me, my brother that had, you know, was going through all two and, two and a half years nearly of Logan's cancer, he said this, I realized that that could be possible with my son. So I not only began to have faith and belief, but I had to step up and begin to fast and pray. You understand? What that means is you're not only having faith and believing, but this is called submission. Submission means I'm willing to sacrifice my desires for your desires, and I don't fully understand what those are, but I'm willing to accept whatever it may be. I yield to you. You have to be broken, you have to be honest, and you have to yield to whatever he wants you to do and be willing to accept it as good, and bad, and ugly as it may be. God has a plan for you and me.